We have 12 on already. I've compiled um, our lists and our questions and our journey and all the things that we're going to go on. Yeah. So those of you who are watching, um, I have a necklace on today and I'm curious to see what you see when you see this. Makes me think of a tree branch. Tree branch. Okay. So upside down why some sort of jewish symbol that i don't understand i'm not jewish um, no no um so it's it's funny my one child thinks of two hooves like lamb hooves or horse oh. hooves oh yeah um, i could see that other child thinks it's a wishbone from thanksgiving okay. that's, that's um, i can see that so this was my grandmother's and when she passed away, she sent me a box of her jewelry. And um, this was one of the pieces that was in it. And it's made from coral and it has little gold oh, end pieces. So it's very cool. But when, when I, when she first wore it, I was in college and um, my mom was like, what, what is that that you're wearing? And my grandma was like, I don't know. I, I just thought it was cool. And it was a neat color. And I'm like, she's like, what do you see? And I'm like, I kind of see the internal iliac artery and, <laughs> and she's like, to do <laughs> I was in college and it was our uh, cardiovascular. So yeah, I see now I can't not see the common iliac artery um, yeah, branching no, into the internal iliac artery. It will oh. be the common iliac artery. You yep. Know, so going with um, that phase, I think the theme of today is going to be, you can't unsee it. Oh boy. Yeah. I got some stories from just the last two weeks. Like you can't unsee it, but you go first. No, um, I'll, I'll always let you go first and I'll always just <laughs> add my opinions at the end. Cause that's just the way we roll. But well, um, there's two things I can't ever unsee. Okay. One is the vagus nerve. Yeah. That's it's like, once you see everything that the vagus does, you can't ever unsee it. Yeah. But the other thing in the last two weeks has been um, vestibular injuries. Wow. Yeah. So I had three patients in a row who their complaint was neck pain, or I've had chronic fatigue for 20 years, or I've had... Um, I'm just really EMF sensitive and I, and I can't eat anything and I can't, um, I bloat up and I'm constant constipation. And, um, and she, she really wanted to go through the whole story. It's like, no, no, no. We just like, we can't go back to the beginning. Cause I have all these other things I want to tell you. It's like, no, we actually have to go back to the beginning because if we don't fix why, all of these things have gone wrong since 1993, then what's the point? Right. Right. Yeah. So 1993, she had an auto accident and hit the windshield with her head. Right. And then bounced back and hit the headrest. And ever since then, digestive problems, chronic constipation, esophagitis, um, just this sense of not knowing where she is in space, a loss of balance, um, trouble reading, 
Um, sometimes she sees double and she's seen all of these people that have given her really bad diagnoses with, with no data. Right. And why did this person say you had that? Well, she muscle tested for it. You can hear me rolling my eyes. Yeah. Um, and then there's another patient where it's just that one side of his neck is really, really tight. And it's like, hmm, do a vestibular screen, go back to when it started. Oh, I had multiple head injuries, skiing, right? So all three of them, one of them came from New Jersey. And what was her original injury? Anyway, original injury was a blow to the head and mild concussion, right? from her symptoms. And now we have a brain injury, visual symptom system checklist and positive score is 18. Hers was 26. So before she saw me Monday afternoon, she flew in on Sunday. I sent her to Dr. Reski and I watched him do his exam and she doesn't need corrective lenses, but he just put blank glasses on her and put the prisms in. And the first time she walked down the hall, she kept her right hand in her pocket and it's a right ear that's bad. The second time, second prism in her left eye, her arms were stiff by her side. The third prism, her hips moved, her SI joints moved and her arms swung. Wow. So all three of them thought they had something else and they do have other things, but the vestibular injury was the missing piece. So there's, there's one lady contacted me from Southern California and I just looked up an FCOVD optometrist near her who would do prism glasses instead of vision therapy because these patients, their necks are so messed up, they're not going to tolerate vision therapy. Right. So they wear glasses, the prisms for three to six months, and then they can do vision therapy if they tolerate it. But with her, she wants to come up and see me. It's like, don't bother, get prism glasses first, see what that fixes. And then we just work on your vagus and about half of what you have will go away. And then you can come see me in three months. Right. So you can't, once you see it, you can't ever unsee it. I look for it everywhere. Right. How yeah, I think, yeah, vestibular has been a big thing lately. And I think for those of you who are just joining us now, um, practitioners, especially, um, we did talked about vestibular a lot last week, and I got a few comments rolling in about um, vestibular therapy and different screening tests and this and this. It, it, to me, it's not important to for us to talk about it, there are experts in this area. It's not your role as a massage therapist or a personal trainer or a chiropractor to treat somebody with vestibular problems. It is your job if you are in healthcare to know enough to identify flags so that you can send somebody to that area. Because it, like you said, it's until it's, you fix that, nothing else gets better. What's one of your sayings about shooting holes in a boat, right? Like yeah, there's no point in bailing out a boat while somebody's still shooting holes in the bottom of it. Right. Or rearranging the deck in the Titanic. Well, yeah. and the other thing is that 
vestibular testing, like the patients that we get that have ligamentous laxity or neck injuries or whatever, they're not going to tolerate standardized vestibular testing. And it's expensive. It's $2,500, $3,000. So I just skip that. And if they go to an FCOVD optometrist that's actually recently trained, he'll be able to spot it and correct it without having to do the rotary chair and the cold water and the hot water and the whatever. Um, And so, but the, the important thing for everybody listening and every healthcare provider at the end of the 45 minutes that we do about vestibular injuries in the core and all the modules, our practitioners know more about vestibular injuries than 95% of the ENTs and neurologists in the country, not to mention GPs, every other medical specialty that diagnoses them with chronic fatigue or psychiatric illness. There's, okay, (laughs) I'm fine now. (laughs) Yeah, I, it is, it's so important for us to recognize it, to have people that you can refer to, to help treat it. And like you said, I mean, I think I don't have a lot of space for like jack of all trades, master of none um, when it comes to healthcare and treating patients. I think you still look like the rock star if you can refer to somebody. As long as that patient's getting better, that's the main priority. So I get a little irritated when I come across chiros or PTs or massage therapists that are trying to do all of it. Um be really good at what you do. If that's adjusting or soft tissue work, be proud of it, own it. That's great. But have somebody that can help you with, like you said, glasses. If you're going to go with balance work or proprioceptive work or vision training, whatever you want to do, but at least identify it. And at the very least, if you don't have the vestibular screen in your skill set, if you haven't taken the core, 94, 90, take the, take the core. (laughs) And we have so many, that's kind of on my list. It's been on the list of all the different ways um, people can take training. Um, Cause we have a lot of people that are listening to us who are practitioners who have not yet taken the um, core or the sports or any of it that are thinking about it. So I think we've I think had, a couple, yeah, I think we've had some people interested in taking our stuff. So right now you can take the core um, virtual right? The next, it's all on the website. If you go to frequencyspecific.com, you'll see all the trainings listed. Um, you can take it virtual live stream in person. There's options. We've, in, you want to learn, person, we got a way to teach you. Yeah. In person in February, but I think the, the best thing has been, um, the five day core that we filmed in December and Kevin has transcribed it. So you have everything that comes out of my mouth. And he said, do you have any idea how many sentences you start with? So I went, no. So then what do we do? So, (laughs) so yeah. Hello. A. Um, I don't say that anymore. It took me about five years, but no, once in a while it pops up if I'm talking to my Canadian friends, but. So we have the five day course, you have the five day video. You've got the two, three day modules, the one that you and I did the pain and injury, and then the neuro and visceral and there's something there for just about every skill set. Before we move on from vestibular injuries, I have to tell you at the advance this year, 
we have my FCOVD optometrist who's going to be lecturing. I can't remember if it's 60 or 90 minutes. That's my job this week is to get that schedule finished and everybody up and running. But he's uh, just a genius at what he does. And he'll talk about how to recognize it, not how to treat it so much, but basically how it works and why it makes such a mess of people's lives, what disequilibrium feels like and why people have trouble reading or using a computer or why at the end of the day, they're so exhausted and they have a headache after they try and read or if they do whatever. So it's, um, I'm really excited about that, that part of it. Yes. I'm excited about that too. Yeah. Um, Continuing on with our, our courses and our education, this is also a very, we have such organic segues. I couldn't, we couldn't script this. Like for people who are listening and watching, like we have no plan. Like we, what you see is what you get. There's like this, there's one take it's now bloopers and all, and we're just, we're rolling with it. Life. Right. There's some sort of mind meld though, right? I, there always has been. Yeah. Yep. Always. So continuing with the segue about our, our courses, I had somebody write in um, via Instagram who is a, a patient who has seen a few, that was in quotes, a few different FSM practitioners for her injuries and received three very different treatments with three very different results. Why oh. is there no continuity between FSM practitioners? Oh, that's, that's my fault. That was my core decision. FSM is a tool for a practitioner to use within their oh. training and skill set. Yeah. It's not a recipe, it, but it took me until a year ago to figure that out for 20 some odd years. I thought I was teaching people frequencies. Then I figured out that 50% of the course is diagnosis. If leaning forward makes it worse, it's a disc. If leaning backward, it makes it worse, it's a facet. Um, if they have full body pain, shoulders, elbows, knees, feet, hands, if they have full body pain, it's inflammation in the spinal cord. But I think what happens is that people hear and see things through their own lens. And I have had practitioners who've taken the core. First time she took it was 1998. The last time she took it was 2014 or 15. She took it every year in Portland. Every single time she heard something different, she learned something different. So you hear and learn only 20% of if you go to a meeting or listen to a, a podcast or a webinar, you remember about 20% of what's said. So which 20% are you going to use? You'll use what you're comfortable with. And the problem with FSM, not FSM, problem with patients is that they come sometimes with a list of diagnoses that they're attached to. And I 
purposefully make them not give me their diagnoses. I'm not interested in what those other six people said you had, because if they were right, you'd be better by now. So let's pretend that those diagnoses don't exist. And let's just talk about your symptoms and when they started and then what happened and then what happened and then what happened. So there's a chronological history. Not everybody has that much time. Not everybody has the same understanding of how the systems work together and what causes what. So it's FSM is a tool. It's not a recipe. It's not like baking a cake. That's I wish it was. Wouldn't it be nice? And I think a lot of practitioners are still wishing for that because if you go on the FSM practitioner page, you, you will see people asking for the formula, the list of frequencies. And when you see the replies, it varies so much because we're all kind of bringing our own, like you said, skill set, background, and mileage. You know, so it's one thing when you just take the core and you've got your 20% in your forebrain that you're like putting out there. Those of us who've been in the trenches with it a decade, 15, 20 years, you kind of know what works and what doesn't. And again, it's it's fantastic when you are at the advanced. And I remember the first time being at the advanced, just sitting in the ballroom and just listening to all the different pockets of conversations. And you'd have the MDs talking about stuff and the naturopaths and the acupuncturists, the chiropractors, the trainers. And Jeez. you'll never be like, in a, I've never been at a conference like that in my entire life. Veterinarians <laughs> like who, who were all using the same tool and in such different ways. And, you know, how you can teach something to so many different people is I never got it until I started teaching myself. And the reason I why you, though, I did warn you, you tried, <laughs> you tried, I know. No. But what I love about teaching the sports course is I, 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 it's like the easy route because the people that are there, they all have the same background. We all speak the same language. I, get that these trainers cannot sit for longer than 20 minutes. That's why there's six practicums and, you know, we're jumping and flying off of tables and all that stuff. So when I read that question about, I saw three different practitioners and I got three different results at first, I was like, I'm sorry. And then I thought, but how cool, because this tool was utilized in three very different ways. And we all saw something different. So to your point, Yes, the, the core is a lot of diagnostic tools. And I remember in, okay, it was 2012 or 13 that you came to Canada to teach it. And we oh, yeah. had a, a big group of chiros and PTs. It was right. pretty much physical medicine. Yeah. And I remember um, two of the chiropractors, we got to like the, the last day and I think it was visceral stuff. And he got up to take a phone call. I'm like, you need to go back and listen to this. And he's like, I don't treat viscera. I'm like, of course you treat viscera. Do you treat hip flexors? He's like, yeah. Then you treat viscera. What's the matter with you? <laughs> Get back in there. And, you know, but you, it, it, it's like selective because you think I don't treat it, but of course you do. And then that's when it dawned on me. 
for the manual therapists out there, when you think you're treating the psoas, you're not treating the psoas. Think Ever. about all the layers. You're never palpating. You can't palpate psoas. You're palpating the stuff on top of it. And well, and it took me until probably after that course to add in the part about scarring in the ureter yeah. between the ureter and the psoas is that's how to release this. It's never not the ureter. It's never not the kidney. Some patient comes in and his QLs are tight up at T10, 11, L1. And it's like, it's the kidney. It's like, no, no, it's the QLs. Everybody's been needling my QLs and they've been doing this and doing that to it. And it's like, yeah, but that's the most stable part of the spine. Yeah. There's no reason why your QL between T9 and L1 should, and L2 should be a rock only on the right. Does that make sense to you? No. And then the patient says, oh yeah, no. Okay. So have you ever, so played football in college. Have you ever been speared in the back with a helmet? Oh yeah. And what do you do for your personal sport? Oh, I ski. You ever fall on your back? And he looked at me and just like, of course. Yeah. yeah. So you bruise your kidney and there's a little bit of, all it takes is a drop of blood. So it's, that's, that's, of course you do that. The other thing I want to say to the, the patient that said, I saw three different practitioners and had three different outcomes. If she was only with each practitioner, one or two sessions, everything comes in layers. So you treat, even I do, I treat what, what I find first. I make my best guess. I'm lucky because I've got four or five machines on a patient at one time. So I'll treat the vagus, treat the cord, treat the tightening in their legs. That's 81 and 10. They're all wound up because of the chronic pain. So that's 40 and 10. You have another one that's on vagal tone because that quiets down the midbrain. And then you can work on whatever they come in with. That's four machines. That's one treatment. But they come back that day or the day after and you treat what's left and you find out what worked and what didn't work. Right. So it's like, don't decide that it didn't work until probably twice a week for four to six weeks. Yeah. It takes about four to five sessions to figure out what's going on and what you, what the compensations are. Because once you get, as you know, once you get the hips moving, then all of a sudden the knees and the calves and, and their right shoulder is now all lit up. Yeah. So, yep. And I think that's a really important um, point that we have to continuously drive home to our practitioners is expect like poop to hit the fan. <laughs> okay. Yes. You know, this, this is never a smooth journey. And as long as I've been doing it, it's not like this um, smooth, slopey type of treatment. We're creating a lot of change and things happen really fast. So short period of time. Totally. So my, um, my lumbar stenosis disc patient that comes in doesn't have back pain anymore, but she's got some weird sensations happening in the medial part of her knee. 
Well, because we stabilize the back and the glutes and the hips and the pelvis are moving, it's changing the tracking and, you know, it's it, but it all happens fast. And instead of freaking out going, oh my God, I made you worse. I, or no, I've, I've created knee pain. No, it's like, yay. My patients are like, what? I'm like, yay, you have knee pain. They're like, I don't, <laughs> I don't understand you. I'm like, well, because your back is better and your hips are stronger and your core is getting stronger and now your knees have to get the memo. So, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes now that this part is moving, now L3 has got an opinion about its new role yeah. and the L3 nerve root refers to the medial knee. So is the medial knee L3, L4, the muscle, the medial meniscus, or actually the knee? So there's five things it could be. And I'm with you. Oh, goody, your back's good. Let's change. Let's fix your knees. Yeah. Like it's, I think, um, yeah, it, it, FSM changes so much of what we, what we do. Um, and, and so rapidly. And so, especially for the new practitioners out there that I think that overwhelming sensation that we all get on the plane coming home from the core and your brain is just like ready to explode. And then you have that moment of panic going, but now what do I do with it? <laughs> yes. I'm really sorry. Yeah. It's again, it's that you're welcome. And I'm so sorry. So, um, and the core has changed so much in such a, like every year it changes. So one of the questions, um, was it was from somebody that took the core, she said eight or nine years ago, um, is it worth redoing? It's, it is complete. It's completely changed in the last year, yeah. Because especially, but eight or nine years ago, it changed every year. As I found, you, you teach it, let's say in February, and by the next, by September of the same year, you get on Facebook or you get emails from practitioners, and they're asking questions, and it's like, well, saying it that way didn't work, right? let's try something else. So what I found out is I had to put in more detail. I had to have it all in writing so that they could look back. And then this year, because of COVID, I was, I wasn't on a plane for 18 months. That's the longest I've been at home in 21 years. Right. So it, it, we have pictures, we have more. And I learned a lot from your slides. I even borrowed one of them, the cat, and, you know, sitting in the tree. Are you okay? I'm not <laughs> I'm going like, for help. <laughs> no, I just, just curious. So, um, so the core has completely changed because I finally figured out that what we're teaching is how to look at what's going on with the patient when you have frequencies to use as a tool. So if you're a manual therapist, it would never occur to you that this tight muscle is second, is not the problem. You feel the muscle, so you think it's the muscle. It's never the muscle. Apologies to David Simons it's not, and, and many people, it's never the muscle. Right. So unless you had a way to treat adhesions between the kidney and the kidney fat pad and the QL or between the ureter and the psoas or between the nerve and the fascia, unless you had a way to treat that, 
in 15 to 20 minutes without pain, without surgery, unless you had a way to treat that, it would never occur to you that that's what's causing the tight muscle right. or the back pain or the, the motor discoordination, right? Right. Yeah, yeah it, it's true. That's, you know, to that point of when those, that chiropractor left the room, I'm like, get back in there. I don't treat the viscera. You do. And if you didn't, you do now because you have to. And it was probably after that meeting that I added the visceral section to the musculoskeletal section. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's like you said, it's never, it's never the muscle, you know? Um, no, but I think the best practitioners, um, that I've ever seen personally and do the best, um, with this type of training are the ones that are always thinking that anyways, they don't just say, Oh, you have bicipital tendonitis. All right, let's treat that. No. Why did that biceps tendon get like that? Yes. Because the subscap was scarred down and the subscap doesn't move. And if you know something about scapular humor rhythm, the bice, the arm can't move without the scapula rotating. So let's treat the subscap and now we can. So yeah, it's, and again, you know, once you see it and you start thinking like that, it is impossible to treat it any other way. Yeah. You, you just, you can't. Yeah. And the, exactly. The, the patients that come in and say, oh, they took off the end of my acromion because I had supraspinatus tendonitis. That's a good face. Yeah. That's like, oh, and take off the end of the acromion made more space, but the bone bleeds and that makes more scar tissue. Oh yeah. So they took out the bursa too. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's, those are sometimes the most difficult patients because they had a surgery they didn't need in the first place that created problems that you then have to repair and then you still have to go in and fix the original problem that should have been fixed in the first place. And then you can go back and then the biceps tendons easy. That's right. 124 and 191. It's like, yeah. that's easy. Right. But, but that's, but that sequence was, you can't start with 194. I mean, with 124 and 191 torn and broken in the tendon because the tendon didn't get torn from space. Yes. You get a piece of chocolate if I put it through the <laughs> catch it. I want to talk about 18 for a minute frequency um, on channel A. I see, yeah, I see a lot of questions about it, um, using it in the subacute and chronic phases, and if we do, and why is it not just an acute um, frequency? <sighs> it's used anytime you want to stop bleeding, and yes. that's usually in the first. Well, first four hours for sure. And often in the first week after a surgical procedure or a trauma, yeah. right? Yeah. So the, the arteries, capillaries just leak. Yeah. And in the only time I end up using it in chronic injury. So 18 is the frequency to stop bleeding. 62 is the... 62 is the love it. Um, 62 is the artery or 162 is the capillary. So yeah. you want to stop bleeding. The only time I ever use it in chronic injuries is where I'm doing manual, um, 
treatment, especially in the viscera, but I, I've had it happen when they were rehabbing my left shoulder after the fracture. And they were doing, we were doing a lot of getting rid of the scar tissue caused by the, the fracture and the surgery. Um, I left, walked out of the, the PT place with my pain at a three, four, which is just fine. I get out to the car at the curb and the pain is up to a seven, eight kind of nauseating. And it's like, oh, that's bleeding. So I went back in the clinic and just went in one of the rooms with one of the microcurrent machines, put 18 and 62, stopped bleeding in the artery, held the gloves in my hand, put one contact on the shoulder where they'd been working and the pain back dropped back down to a one. So in the process of breaking up scar tissue, it's really, especially in the abdomen, it's really easy to just tear a little blood vessel away from the, the fascia that's surrounding it or the scar tissue that's gluing it. So you, um, that's the only time I ever use it in chronic stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I have this as part of a slide in the sports course. It's part of like my practice management kind of section about how to use custom cares for, um, clinicians, especially chiropractors that are used to seeing like a patient every 10 minutes who think they don't have time to use FSM or they need to train an assistant. Yes and no. So if you are a chiro or a PT or a massage therapist, anybody manual therapist who is doing deep tissue work and you are releasing a lot of scar tissue, especially if you're doing really deep, aggressive treatment, um, it's really easy to set up, just have an 18 and 62 set up on a custom care and have them sit, you know, in a recliner or in a, another room for like a little post-treatment um, I always, I, I always tell my patients, I need to let you marinate for a couple minutes over here. So, um, and it does, it just kind of helps that aggressive treatment. If you are releasing scar tissue, like you said, especially in the viscera or people who go really deep through the psoas, um, it, it is, I think. And actually the hardest part, I think in the practicums are people who are used to doing aggressive, deep tissue work is to get them to slow down, yeah. feel what's changing. Yeah. And you get, you what is it? You catch um, more flies with honey than you do, right? Yeah. So be gentle and follow the frequencies down. Wh what you think is scar tissue is not always scar tissue. I had that patient a couple of weeks ago where he, he had a history of a bunch of surgeries and things that were done to release scar tissue in the nerve. And I went after it, believing him and treating scar tissue in the nerve. And the, the thing that worked was torn and broken in the tendon mm. because the muscle was tight and the nerve was scarred because, the, because what everybody was trying to do was stretch him and the muscles were neurologically tight because he was 81 and 10 and his legs were just like rocks mm -hmm. and that creates tendinopathies. So they kept going after adhesions in the nerve because the muscles were so tight and it's just, it's unpeeling it. And the thing that told me it was not scarring in the muscle or scarring in the artery 
was it 13 and sorry, scarring in the nerve. The thing that told me it was not that was the 13 and 396 didn't work. Didn't right. do anything. Right. If anything, it made him worse. And it's like, mm. okay, so let's try. Right. And at the end, you you run stop bleeding and increase vitality. But the I think the biggest challenge to for manual therapists with FSM is to learn to trust the frequencies treat inflammation in the nerve and see what happens to the muscle, right? Treat inflammation in the cord and see what happens to the muscle, treat torn and broken in the tendon. What happens to the muscle? Yeah. So the frequency response will teach you what's going on. Right. That only took me 15 years to figure out. Well, (laughs) well, how would you know? Right. I mean, one of my, one of my, um, things I'll tell practitioners who have taken the sports or taken the core and contact me about, I can't feel it. I, whatever, sit down with your patient. And I love using the MFTP short protocol for this because you can, it cycles through a lot of the like main heavy hitters that you'll see in a traditional myofascial patient, Mm -hmm. let it go on the custom care to have a patient, take a deep breath and just feel. And when you feel something change, look, see what's on the custom care. Like it can be such a good learning tool and diagnostic. And then you don't have to worry about anything, but it does change the way that you palpate. It changes the way that you treat. I had a, a, a trainer who took the sports course a couple of years ago that was, we were doing our C-spine practicum and our supine shoulder and the, the fingers were tight and the muscles and the, and I was just like, stop. And everybody <laughs> like looked, I'm like, and he was just, I'm like, back away from the patient. He's like, what? I'm like, stand up and back away. And I'm like, you need to take a deep breath, relax relax your hands and your wrists. And I go, I shouldn't see this big vein in your bicep popping out. It's like, but her neck's so tight. I'm like, it's not your hands that are going to smash it apart anymore. Trust the frequencies, listen to it. Like, and if it's not working, that doesn't mean you get to press harder. That means you change the frequencies. Your your touch stays the same. The first five years, that was my solution was press harder. It took me five years and 50,000 patient visits to figure out that it's like, you just relax. So the, the words I use with people that are all fingers and claws is relax your wrists, relax your fingers. No, really relax your, no, really relax your fingers. The less, the more motor impulses you have going out, the less sensory you have coming in. You just paid $6,000 for this machine. Why would you try and work without it? So what you do with a custom care, I do with a precision care because it teaches me instantaneously. Nope, that's not it. Change the frequency. Nope, that's not it. Change the free. Oh, it's a periosteum. Okay. Yeah. So less motor out, more sensory in. And you can feel the softening and relax your wrists, relax your fingers. The other instruction that I think works is close your eyes, close your eyes, and then put your eyes at the end of your fingers, right? Yeah. When you, when we work with Tom Myers, 
he he's a musician. He sings, he plays guitar, he's all into sound. And he said, I hear with my fingers when he puts his hands on somebody, he can hear the tissue talking to him. Yeah. For us, for me, because I'm a visual learner, put your eyes at the end of your, and usually when I say that and I force them to relax their wrists, relax, then they get it. And once, talk about once you see it, you can't unsee it. That's once they do that, I don't ever have to worry about them again because they can, they, they will never not be able to do that. They may have to practice it for two or three years. Right. It's, it's that once you feel smush, you can never unfeel it. And that makes you a believer, right? And that's, that's always my goal when I'm teaching the sports course is that everybody can experience um, it as a patient, something releasing without somebody's elbow in, in them and, and to palpate when something lets go, because to me, that's what, that was my hook. You know, I believed in it. I saw enough results with athletes that I knew this was legit, but it wasn't until I felt smush and it wasn't because I pressed harder and it was, and it was seconds into a treatment. I was just like, Whoa. What the, (laughs) you know, and then it was like, I got to do that again. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, then you get greedy and you know that then you get, yeah. And then somebody has, I've had practitioners email and say, what's the frequency that creates smush? (laughs) Uh, What's the frequency that gets patients stoned? Uh, It, Anytime you run a frequency that the patient actually needs, the tissue will soften. And that's um, Juliana Mortensen's presentation at the symposium in 19. um, And I think in 21, but it was the one in 19 that just knocked my socks off. And then Jim Oshman's article on um, tissue softening with use of frequency, completely different models for why it happens, but Mm -hmm. it is, they have both experienced what smush is. So trying to explain the neurology or the biophysics of it is an entirely different thing. But sometimes, yeah, it's different for everybody. And I'm really sorry. And thank you. Or you're welcome. <laughs> welcome and I'm sorry. A um, couple more questions here as we're rolling, because we always seem to run out. And there's somebody that put something in the chat that I also have that question. We got it emailed to us. So we'll make yeah. sure that we get to it for sure. Because if you're asking it three different platforms, you really want to know the answer to it. So we will totally get to it. Um, are there any other frequencies besides 124 that you feel are time dependent? Well, we know for sure that shingles is time dependent. It's unfortunately, it just, it takes two hours. That's, that's a thing. Um, 40 and 10 is Mm -hmm. time dependent. That takes 60 minutes. 40 and 396, so 40 and 10 is inflammation in the cord. And we know that it takes, the pain recedes from the feet up and the neck and shoulders go last and they go usually in the last 10 minutes of a 60 minute cycle. So in the new clinic that we're getting, I got leather recliners, you know, glider recliners. Yeah. And 
that's for people where they you just need a wrap around the neck, wrap around the feet. I'll be back in 60 minutes. Yeah. Punch the button, leave the room because that's what it takes. Same thing with 81 and 10, actually. Mm-hmm. They have loss of descending inhibition. And the what what everybody treats them for is that their quads are really tight. And their adductors and adductor brevis, especially, and the pectineus. And 81 and 10, it's Ben Catholi or Dave Burke or somebody is going to have to explain to me why it works this way but the muscles soften up the front first and what you thought was the quads and the adductors if you reach around the knee you find out that it's actually the hamstrings so it goes up the front quads hamstrings once once the brevis and the pectineus let go then the trunk goes pretty quickly the arms go quickly that's with 81 and 10 increased descending inhibition and um, then the hamstrings, the, the gastrox and the soleus, the hamstrings, the glutes, the QLs, it goes up the front and then it goes up the back. And I have no idea why. 40 and 10, I understand why, because it's feet first, because the homunculus, I assume it's something similar in the motor, descending motor pathways. Right. Um, and shingles 40 and 396 is time dependent based on the length of the nerve so inflammation in the nerve in cervical nerve roots so c5 is a matter of 20 30 minutes c7 6 7 8 those are 45 minutes the sciatica sciatic is longer it's just a longer nerve so it takes longer. And I really want a squid axon. I mean, I mean, not an actual squid, but a squid axon and somebody with a laboratory that can tell me what we are doing to these nerves. Right. Why is it time dependent? Why does C2, which is just up the back of the head, why does that nerve take 20 minutes? Right. Why does C4 and C5 take 20 minutes? Why does s1 and l5 why does that take 60 minutes i don't know but it does i'm gonna add a follow-up um i'm gonna add a fake question here because i know this is coming because this typically comes so when we have practitioners that are um new to this and they want to know well how long do i run something again it's not a formula and they're waiting for smush and they don't know if smush is happening or not. And they don't know how fast to change the frequencies. And if something is takes 20 minutes, do we just let it run 20 minutes and then change it? So like, I hear all these questions coming now because I'm teaching it. So mm-hmm. I will add, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. If ever. 40, <laughs> thank you, but it happens 40 and 396, the pain will start to go down almost right away. So that's how, you know, you're, you're on the right track. Tissue will get warm. It'll smush. They'll be like, Oh, I think it's something starting to happen. That's how, you know, you're just hang out a little bit longer on it. And then that 20 minutes is what it takes to kind of finish the job to do what it needs to. Is that? Yeah, exactly. And it's the same thing. Actually, I forgot to mention 124. and So torn and broken in the connective tissue the pain goes down almost immediately. It right. starts to drop. Oh, that feels so much better. Yeah. But 
in order to actually repair the tendon. It's like, do you, do you have anything important to do in the next 60 minutes? Because we can make a lot of headway with this if we actually repair this tendon. Right. Okay, yeah, I can wait. So then you have to decide, is it a round tendon or a flat tendon? So that's when you haul netter out. Yeah. And so 124 is time dependent, but the pain, it's easy to get suckered because the pain drops yeah. in seconds. Right. But in order to actually repair the tendon, takes an hour so that's i learned that when my tendon was the one that got repaired right when my achilles i you know yeah um so yeah don't don't give up on it don't don't bail too soon but give it time to to do its thing yeah i can't think of anything else besides cord nerve torn and broken that needs shingles um, I think that's it. It's funny for a while. I thought the 58s might be torn, might be time dependent. Cause I didn't think they worked. And then I let those suckers run and run and run and run. And then I was like, no, they, they don't work. They don't so work. I did, practitioners that took the course 15 years ago say, what happened to the 58s? Kim and I decided they don't work. I'll never forget sitting there doing the slides and looking at it. And then I think you had said, what do you think of the 58s? And like, part of me didn't want to like admit that I was doing drive-bys on them and I wasn't like giving them a chance. And I remember just looking down be, I don't think they work. And you're like, thank God. And I was like, yes. <laughs> because I really wanted them to work because yeah. everything worked, you know? Um, so I tried it every which way, you know? And um, one place they seem to be important is in the viscera, is okay. in the belly. So 13 and 77 for sure, yeah. but 5802 and 32, yeah. um, Abrams was onto something and um, they work in the belly sometimes, but most of the time I've just given up on them. Back in the day in 97 or 98, when Ryan dug them up out of the rare book room, um, they, they were a game changer, but over the years, they're just not not getting it so sorry yeah interesting okay i'm gonna pull up that one question because we need to um have it it's not there the paula how long for hypoxia to work that one's yours because hypoxia is your friend i love it so I find that you have to almost layer hypoxia, something that is, it's almost like when you see a really old chronic injury, you can feel it. It feels like beef jerky. Um, so anytime you're thinking of using something that was calcified, something that's been around for a long, long time, um, again, the results will be instant. Um, I don't think this one has to run very long. I've run it. I put it on people's custom cares. I usually max out around four or five minutes because once you've created, once you've released the scarring, um, it's almost like it just makes sense to try to give it a little extra oxygen because, you know, frozen shoulder or anything that's been scarred down for so long, it hasn't received proper blood supply or neurological, it hasn't received anything. So a few minutes and you can, um, you can easily get some results. I've seen hypoxia to, oh, whoa, 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 um, to help a patient with Lyme. Oh, uh, kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, 
there's another one. So it's it's on the Q and A maybe. Um, here MS. it is. Oh, Susan. here it. That one. Um, let's go back up here. This one is an 18. If 18 can be thought of as stop leaking, is it ever useful in acute disc herniation as in 18 with 330, 630 or 710? I've never used it that way, but it's worth a try. So this is, remember the part in the core where we say, it's not like we know what we're doing. That's, this is it. It's like, this is FSM is clinical research in real time. So Lorena if you remember the, the little bird on your shoulder that talks to you and says, I wonder if the disc can leak. And you look at the bird and you say, I don't think so. And the bird said, really, it might. So you try it. And either the bird is right or the bird is not. So the only way to know if 18 with 336, 30 and 710 for the disc parts would be useful is to use it. And then you let us know and we'll tell somebody in a course and that's and and then they'll try it and then in five years or three years it ends up in the advanced in a case presentation oh my gosh we have some of the coolest case presentations coming in advance i'm so excited awesome okay i have to interrupt i have to find that question i have to keep this train on the tracks Question submitted by Katie Jackson. Child with cerebral palsy that cannot handle her secretions. It says, do you dysphagia? But I'm thinking it says due to. Due to dysphagia. Okay. So there's, I had the same question um, from uh, one of the docs at uh, Cleveland Clinic or Cincinnati Children's, somebody someplace same thing about cerebral palsy, kids with cerebral palsy drool. Um, so he said, is there a frequency we can use for the salivary glands to stop salivary secretions? Well, is excess saliva actually the problem or is the problem that the tongue and the swallowing mechanism is not coordinated? Because normally we all, like if you, feel your mouth right now you've got saliva in there and you swallow without even thinking about it kid with cerebral palsy can't do that so what coordinates swallowing right it's vagus so you want the vagus to work better if you think about the pathways affected in the brain the motor pathways the loss of of descending inhibition that's present in cerebral palsy could the vagus be involved in this like in the spasticity that's in the neck is that doing something to the vagus mm-hmm. so i i would aim for increasing secretions in the vagus to see if you can get them to swallow better mm-hmm. treat scarring in the vagus because they have so so much spasticity in the neck and trunk then you Um, you yank on the vagus and you're constantly creating adhesions in the vagus. So it's always got little nerve traction injuries going on. And this treats, this goes right over to in the Q and a section, have you treated MS rigidity or foot drop successfully and in cerebral palsy patients on the patient with the salivary problem and the dysphagia, I would have one machine neck to feet with 81 and 10. And I can tell you from experience that takes 60, 
to 70 minutes. We have better luck with lower extremity, um, spastic diplegia. But I'd have one machine doing 81 and 10 neck to feet. And as the leg muscles relax, the challenge you have is you have to teach them to walk again. That's another conversation. But then you, I would have a second machine treating the vagus, the whole vagal, just well, maybe concussion in vagus, but vagal tone with more time spent on increased secretions in the vagus and scarring in the vagus, especially if the cerebral palsy includes the neck and trunk and abdomen, right? So you treat scarring in the vagus to get it to work, increase secretions and make them swallow better. And that's, I hope, because this is only the second time in three weeks that I've created this hypothesis. So we'll see if it works. MS rigidity is 81 and 10. Foot drop is another conversation. That's actually in the new five-day course, Suzanne. If you haven't seen it, um, you might check that check that out. It's, um, yeah, you, it's, it's on that slide. It's what's foot drop, what causes it. It's reduce inflammation in the nerve, treat scarring in the nerve, and then increase secretions in the nerve. And that usually takes care of it. Right. Um, question here. Can you recommend a frequency combination to stimulate osteoblasts? Well, um, I'm assuming you're talking about osteoporosis. I hope, I think. And if you think about John Sharkey teaching us that bone is actually fascia, Osteoblasts fill up the connective tissue with calcium. I'd go with probably acute, acute or subacute fracture. Like it's not bleeding. So take out the hemorrhage frequencies from fracture, but torn and broken in the bone, increased secretions in the periosteum, 59 and 39. I have always just mentally or philosophically been afraid of running increased secretions in the bone marrow because the bone marrow is such a busy place immunologically. And um, I, yeah, it just makes me nervous. So, um, but then treating the vagus made me nervous for 20 years. So who knows what we're gonna do in the next 20 years. But for right now, I just treat the bone torn and broken, increased secretions in 59, 39 and 783, the bone parts, but I, and then vitality, I suppose. And then just remember that osteoporosis is a long latency vitamin D deficiency problem or a chronic inflammation problem. So um, osteoporotic bone is always going to be inflammatory um, or inflamed. So reduce the inflammation, increase secretions, that kind of thing. Yeah, what you said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, one of the, and then Paula, we did the hypoxia. I haven't found I needed to run it longer than four minutes, but it were it's, it, it works. The older an injury is, it just kind of makes sense. So you don't need it in an acute phase, but old chronic gross injuries, it's your friend. Um, there is one more question I jotted down before we do our closing remarks. Um, 
Where did it go now? It was actually going along the lines of arthritis. Um, so when I saw the osteoblast, so it, oh yeah, um, osteoarthritis, any success treating it with FSM? Can't poke back what's gone. Can't, yeah, that's, although David Murphy in Ireland mm-hmm. has a pre and post knee x-ray or MRI that shows cartilage in the knee regrowing. I'm not sure I believe it, but it's right there in black and white. You can see it. Uh, osteoarthritis there is, is an interesting condition because you have patients who come in with horrible, horrible x-rays and absolutely no pain. You look at the x-rays and you say, this guy is going to be on a cane or a walker and you walk in the room and he wants to know when are you going to let him play golf again? Right. Like no pain whatsoever. Yeah. So the wear and tear on the joint is not so much the problem as the inflammation is. Right. Torn and broken and necrosis. And the one from the advanced 217 ankylosis in the periosteum. So if you think about osteoarthritis and Wolf's law, we think of osteoarthritis as being bone spurs, right? You have inflammation in the bone and the disc and the joint, and that's what makes it painful is those bone spurs in the joint. Right. But it's not. Right. Right. Bone spurs, Wolf's law, if the tendon is tight, if the muscle is tight, the body will build a bone spur to reinforce the tendon that's attached to the periosteum. And why is the muscle tight? Because the facet joint or the disc is inflamed. So the problem started 15 years ago when you had that auto accident or fell down the stairs or had the skiing, whatever, um, or you decided that golf was going to be your game. That's another conversation. Um, And so you had the facet or the disc injured that made the muscle tight. The muscle pulls on the periosteum for five or 10 years. And now you have a bone spur and they call it osteoarthritis. But what was the problem? The original facet or disc. The question is, can you reverse it? And the answer is maybe we can almost always reduce the pain just by treating the inflammation, treating the original disc or facet, treating torn and broken in the tendon, treating calcium 91 and 217 in the, in the connective tissue and the periosteum and giving them little teeny exercises to get the little teeny muscles to move. And if they move, then the body will reabsorb, um, the calcium. Right. Okay. Right. So last little part of the question here before we go, it says four days ago, I'm not sure if that's part of it. How can this work for scoliosis? (sighs) Well, it would help if anybody knew why scoliosis occurs. I was just going to say, it depends if it's functional or structural scoliosis. So 
we see a, I see a ton of teenagers that get flagged for scoliosis at their well child exam that their pediatrician send me and it's functional because they put a backpack on one stinking shoulder because it's cool and they walk around like this. So how can this work for functional scoliosis? Well, you have to figure out, is it, is it true rotoscoliosis where the vertebrae are rotated or do they have functional scoliosis where they have paravertebral fullness on one side, because I've seen the well child exam and it's just a standing flexion test. And they're looking for paravertebral fullness on one side of the back. That's it. That's their flag. And then they have scoliosis and that's not true. So again, why is it tight on one side? What are they doing? We're not looking at discs in a 14 year old, but you have to loosen the tight side and strengthen the weak side. Um, and then the structural stuff is a whole other um, ball of wax. The, neuro, the neurologic part where they are at, I don't know, 27 degrees of curvature at the age of 19, that is neurologic and nobody knows where it comes from. There's some chiropractor someplace that said it was all because of the ankles or the C1 or whatever. Right. And it's uh, with scoliosis, like true scoliosis like that. Yeah. I treat the facets and the discs. And like you said, get the muscles to balance and try and make them if, if the curve is solidified. I mean, if they're adults now and they come in and they're 32 and they've got a 25 degree or 23 degree scoliosis measured on x-ray yeah. and you, you can't change the curve, but you can make them more functional by doing exercises and, and maybe a heel lift and maybe treat the facets and the discs so that you can have a scoliosis and not be uncomfortable. Totally. Yeah. 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 Okay. Great. Cause who, who really cares what it says on an x-ray if you're living without pain and you're quite functional, I think people get really caught up with imaging. Mm -hmm. Um, I get a lot of people come in, they're like, look at my MRI, look at my, look at my x-rays. And I'm like, well, you're 72 years old. This is exactly what your joint should look like. How's your pain? Well, it's not bad. Let's just throw this out then. So <laughs> Um, ones, the ones that I love are they bring in their imaging and I said, oh my gosh, I would kill to have a neck that looked like that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And then they feel good and you're just like, oh, there you go. Yeah. It is five o'clock. We did it again. We did it again. Um, we got a lot of great questions answered. So keep sending them in. There's Kevin put a, uh, a jot form together. So there's even easier, better ways of submitting your questions. Again, yeah, you can. You can find us on Instagram, um, Facebook, YouTube, um, Apple Podcasts. So we are everywhere. And it's frequency specific podcast. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Cool. So, um, yeah. And you can post questions to YouTube also, um, Kevin said. So okay. you can send them all different ways. And so we will just have a great time answering them. We do. It was really fun. It always is. And I will see you in person tomorrow. I can hardly wait. 
and we'll have a whole bunch of things to catch up on. So thanks everybody for joining us and we'll see you all next week. Do good things. Have a good time. Bye. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.